Semper Fi or Semper Fidelis is a Latin phrase, and as most of you know, it's the motto for the United States Marines. It means always faithful. That is, to remain loyal, to remain steadfast, no matter what. The Marine Corps University website makes this statement about the phrase Semper Fidelis. That Marines have lived up to this motto is proven by the fact that there has never been a mutiny or even the thought of one among U.S. Marines. Now, a close look at history might challenge that statement just a bit, but nonetheless, the loyalty of Marines is inarguable. Semper Fi, always faithful. Is that true of us as Christians? We know about the faithfulness of God. We sing about the faithfulness of God. We lay our lives upon the faithfulness of God. But is it true that we as Christians are always faithful? We should be. There are many advantages to being faithful as Christians. And this morning, I want to see how our faithfulness always bears fruit. Your faithfulness to God always bears fruit meaning something comes of it. It produces something. There is good that comes out of our faithfulness. We as Christians should strive to be faithful because no matter what, faithfulness bears fruit. And I want to look at three examples of that from our text this morning. Now, as we approach our text, I want to first establish where we are within the book of Acts What's going on? We're jumping into the middle here. And if you were here last week, you may remember that Mike Vernon left us on a cliffhanger. Paul and Silas had been beaten, and they were in prison in the city of Philippi. They had traveled to Philippi because of a vision Paul had seen in verses 6 through 10. Because of the lack of male spiritual leadership in Philippi, they'd gone to Philippi, and they'd located a woman's Bible study. And through Paul's teaching... Lydia, a woman of prominence, accepted Christ, her and her household. And then after that, Paul and Silas were harassed by a slave girl possessed by an evil spirit. And when Paul had just had enough, he exercised the demon out of her. Well, that did not sit well with the slave girl's owners because they used her possession as a means of fortune-telling for profit. So they dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates of the city. They were stripped, they were beaten, and they were thrown into prison and fastened in stocks. And that's where we left them. So who wants to see what happens next? Join me in verse 25 of Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, just stop a minute right there, and let's think about their circumstances. We're told that they were thrown into prison in verse 24. It was actually the inner prison. This would have likely been a deep cell deep within the stone prison. It would have been probably not ventilated at all. It would have been filthy. It would have been even more degrading for them to be thrown in there than just another prison. And remember, they've been beaten. They probably have open wounds So they're susceptible to infection. And on top of this, the jailer had fastened their feet in wooden stocks. And these stocks were likely attached to the prison floor in some way. And not 
they were not just used to keep somebody down. They were also used as instruments of torture. They would contort the legs in awkward positions, uncomfortable, painful positions, and they were fastened and left there. And by the way, this punishment far exceeds what Paul and Silas were even accused of. Even if they were guilty of what the, what the mob had accused them of, this was far too harsh a penalty. They've been humiliated. They've been beaten. They've been imprisoned, and they're in pain. What's their next course of action? Why, God? You sent us here. You gave me a vision to come to this place to do what? Rot in this cell? Wouldn't that be your next course of action? Wouldn't it be mine? But not Paul and Silas. Look at the text. Back to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Your first point this morning is this. Faithfulness despite circumstances will be rewarded. Faithfulness despite circumstances will be rewarded. Paul and Silas are praying and singing. They're calling out to the Lord. They're praising his name despite the horrendous situation they find themselves in. And the text tells us it's about midnight. What are you typically doing about midnight? I want to enlighten something for you. The culture during the New Testament times does not differ from ours on this matter. They typically do at midnight what we typically do at midnight, and that is sleep. Most of them were sleeping. In fact, the jailer is asleep. We're going to see that in a minute. And just think about the pain and everything that they've been through. This would have been a good time to, let's try, even as we're uncomfortable, even though we're in pain, let's try to get some sleep. Our bodies need rest. But no, they'd rather worship Jesus. And the result of this is no less than a miraculous release. Look at 26 again. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Now every earthquake that you and I hear about is typically destructive on some level. And perhaps that destruction is minimal, perhaps it's tragic, but this earthquake doesn't hurt. It helps. It does shake the foundations of the prison, but notice the prison doesn't collapse. It releases the prisoners. This is a supernatural earthquake. God sends this earthquake to release his servants. And isn't it interesting that God doesn't just release Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. All the doors were thrown open. Why did he do that? Why not just release Paul and Silas? You know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know for sure, but we can speculate. We can speculate that perhaps God did this for all the prisoners to prove that this release was from him and not some sort of coincidental experience. Just think about it for a second. An earthquake that doesn't destroy but releases prisoners, I mean, that's highly unlikely. But if the earthquake had just released one or two prisoners, that may have been written off as happenstance. Could have been. 
But the fact that all the prisoners, not just two, were released gives greater evidence that God is behind this. It's too much to be a coincidence. So maybe that's why God did it this way. Nevertheless, what does the text show us? The text shows us that God rewards faithfulness. Faithfulness despite circumstances will be rewarded. Paul and Silas choose to praise God despite everything that had happened to him, happened to them, and God rewarded that. And the same is true of you and me. When I was young, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in that age, I got into a fight with a neighborhood bully. Yes, it's true. Even me. How many of you guys out there got into fights when you were young? Oh, don't lie to me. Okay, good. Good. Got some hands out there. Yes. Well, that night, I told my father what had happened, and you know what he made me do? Doggone it. He told me to go down to the bully's house just down the street from mine and to apologize. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That's the last thing I wanted to do. After all, he started it, as far as I can remember. I don't The details are fuzzy. But you know what? I did it. I obeyed. I went down there, and I apologized, and I can remember. I still remember this day. On my way back, there was a lightness in my heart. See, me, by, by being faithful to my father, by obeying my father, really was obeying my heavenly father, and God rewarded that. How are we doing? How are we doing? How is our response during difficult circumstances? Is it of faith or something else? Because there's really only two ways to respond. Paul and Silas could have responded in anger. They could have lashed out against their attackers and against the magistrates and against the jailer and ultimately against God. And that anger would really have come from a place of doubt and distrust. Why, God? How dare you, God? We're trying to serve you. They could have responded like that. But instead of responding in doubt and distrust, they respond in faith. They turned what could have been grumbling into praise. And maybe right now, you're going through something tough. No, you haven't been beaten, you haven't been imprisoned, but nonetheless, it's tough. It's painful. And the temptation to grumble or to get angry or to get apathetic, all of which are emotional responses stemming from doubt and distrust, is what's tempting you. What are you doing, God? You know, in Psalm 10, the psalmist opens with these words, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Is that how you feel? You know, on the one hand, I would say that's perfectly natural, perfectly understandable. If you were sharing with me over coffee, because it would have to be over coffee, but if you were sharing with me your circumstances and the pain you've experienced and how you felt like God was far away and how you were struggling to see his goodness and love for you, I would probably nod my head. I get it. But on the other hand, we can't stay in that place. We can't let those thoughts linger. Why? Because doubt and distrust sow seeds of distance. Doubt and distrust sow seeds of distance. When you just distrust someone, think about it. When you distrust a person, you automatically create distance between you and that person. But the same is true of God. 
If you let doubt and distrust fester in your soul toward God, you will begin to distance yourself from him. You might smile on the outside, you might say all the right Christian words, but emotionally you're distant from God. What's the alternative? Faith. By the end of Psalm 10, the psalmist writes, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. See, the writer comes full circle. Why do you stand so far away, God? That's how I feel because it seems like you're not doing anything. But when I respond in faith, though I don't understand, I preserve my relationship with the Lord and rewards are coming. Friends, the earthquake is right around the corner. He will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. You might not be rewarded right away. You might not be rewarded in the way you think you should be, but know that God will reward your faithfulness. So stay faithful in times of difficulty. Fight against those seeds of doubt and distrust and wait for God's rewards. How do we stay faithful? How do we do that? What do we do? Well, let's take a page out of Paul and Silas' book. Pray, sing, rejoice. Declare the many ways that God is good despite whatever is going on. And at the very least, that response will positively affect your attitude. You know, think of this. Maybe the earthquake you need is a shake out of doubt and distrust to put you in a merrier mood. So rejoice, my brothers. Rejoice, my sisters, because the earthquake's coming. And by the way, your choice to not rejoice might just be hindering an opportunity for the gospel. Look what happens next. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Does your Bible really say that? Did this jailer get shaken out of sleep, not just physical sleep, but spiritual sleep? Did salvation result as as, as, as a consequence to what happened to Paul and Silas? Yes, it did. Here's your second point this morning. Faithfulness opens opportunities for the gospel. Faithfulness opens opportunities for the gospel. Now, what a testimony. What a moment. This jailer, think about it, he is literally an inch from hell. He wakes up, probably from the earthquake, He sees that the prison doors are open, and naturally, he assumes what anybody would assume. They're gone. Who would hang around with the prison doors are open and you're a prisoner? Now, just a little information on jailers. 
Likely this man was older, he was retired from active service, he'd probably spent his time in his youth as a Roman soldier, and now having proven his loyalty to Rome, he was given a position as a jailer. And now from the text, we can infer that there were probably subordinates who worked for him, so you can think of him as a warden. And when he sees the doors to the prison open, he assumes they had escaped, and now he's got two choices. Face the authorities with the shame of losing his prisoners and probably die because any Roman soldier who lost his prisoners would likely receive the sentence that the prisoners had received. That was one choice. The other choice was to spare himself the public shame by just taking his own life. He chose the latter. But before he could plunge that sword into himself, which would have ended his life and damned his whole soul to hell, Paul cries out, I'm going to be honest with you, there's been a time or two as a parent that I have raised my voice at my kids to stop them from doing something I know is going to harm them. And that's the kind of reaction Paul has here. It's like, no, don't. And Paul assures him all the prisoners are still in place. Now think about that for a second. Why are all the prisoners still in place? Why didn't they make a break for it? Well, again, we can only speculate on something like this But if you think about the events that happened that night, consider first, the text tells us the prisoners had been listening to Paul and Silas, listening to their prayers, listening to the singing. That had had some kind of effect on them. From a prisoner's point of view, they're probably thinking, these guys are locked up like us, but they're acting weird. They're not angry. They're not grumpy. They're not making shivs out of their toothbrushes. They're singing. Had some kind of effect on them. Paul and Silas had their attention, probably their curiosity. That's one thing that happened that night. The next thing that happens is an earthquake. The first response to an earthquake, if you've ever been in one, is fear. It's the first response. It's automatic. But then the earthquake stops, and the shackles have fallen off, and the doors are open. And you can imagine the prisoners are just dumbfounded. What just happened? Don Miller, a couple weeks ago, preached on the cripple who was healed by Peter And Brother Don said that in those instances, you scratch your head and you think, did I really just see that? Here's a similar experience. The prisoners are probably thinking, did this just really happen? So perhaps they're they're just stunned. And that's why they didn't make a break for it. What just happened? Nonetheless, Paul assures the jailer, they're all here. And the next moment, the jailer calls for lights. And this is one of those inferences that he had subordinates working for him because somebody brought the lights. It surely wasn't a prisoner. And the jailer enters, trembling, and the text tells us he falls down before Paul and Silas. This is a Roman soldier falling before prisoners. That didn't happen. He brings Paul and Silas out, and then he asks them the question. The question. The question that we should pray is on the lips of every human being. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Perhaps it's at this moment that Paul and Silas suddenly realize why God allowed all this to happen. They experienced the shame and the persecution. It brought them to this point. The jailer and his family would come to know Jesus. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, how did he know to ask that question of Peter and Silas? What prompted him to ask that question? Maybe he'd overheard why Paul and Silas were in prison. 
maybe rumors of what the demon-possessed girl had said about them. Remember, she was shouting, these men are telling you the way to salvation. Maybe that had reached his ears. Maybe he, along with the prisoners, listened to Paul and Silas' prayers and songs before he fell asleep. However it happened, somehow he connects Paul and Silas with a message of salvation. And Paul gives him the basic summary of the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. My brothers, my sisters, the gospel, so deep, so marvelous, so powerful, and yet so simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Have you done that? Have you quite simply put your faith in the Lord Jesus? It's a simple message. Now, the next verse actually tells us that Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to them. In other words, they explained in more detail the way of salvation, but it's a simple message. It does need a bit of explaining, but it's still a simple message. What does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus? It means to believe that you need him. There's a problem with the world. In the most simplistic explanation, the problem is sin. Sin affects you. Sin affects me. Sin affects everyone, and that sin separates us from a holy God. Furthermore, that sin condemns us to an eternity in hell without God. That's bad news. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came. God incarnate, he lived among us. He died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. And if you believe that, if you believe that you need him because you're a sinner and you turn from your sin and trust in what Jesus did for you, you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You want to hear more? Catch me after service. Paul and Silas explain how to be saved. The jailer comes to know Jesus and so does his household. This is likely a reference to his wife, his kids, any servants he may have had. They all come to know Christ. Now, some have tried to use this verse, verse 31, to infer that the head of, if the head of the household accepts Christ, then automatically the whole house becomes saved whether they personally believe or not. But that's not what it's saying here. I do not condone that idea. Everyone is responsible to accept or deny Jesus Christ. You can't bank off someone else's salvation. You have to make that decision for yourself. Somebody say, give me a verse on that. Okay, I'll give you two. John 3.18. Whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You're personally responsible for your own response to Jesus' offer of salvation. Back to Acts in verse 33 and following, we're told that the jailer washes Paul's and Silas' wounds. He and his family are baptized, and he takes them to his own house and feeds them compassion. Already what we're seeing here is the fruit of his salvation. And the whole household is full of joy in their newfound salvation. How awesome is that? Why? Because Paul and Silas were faithful. 
Faithfulness opens opportunities for the gospel. What opportunities of the gospel could you be missing due to a lack of faithfulness? When we are faithful, despite what may be going on in our lives, people take notice. The world sees. You know, my family and I, we just got back from a family camp a week ago, and one of the speakers there told us that according to a study done by the Barna Group, in order for people to take notice of Christians, there has to be at least a 40% variance in how they behave. You have to be at least 40% different from the world just for them to take notice. How much do you and I look like Christ? Do you look different enough for the world to take notice? How do we look different? Faithfulness. Always faithful. Semper Fi, no matter what. And that's going to open up opportunities for the gospel that you can't even begin to imagine. Finally, your third point this morning. When wronged, the faithful will be vindicated. When wronged, the faithful will be vindicated. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported those words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly and uncondemned, um, publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now this paragraph, this is one of those spots in the Bible that's just downright funny. If you think about it, the Bible sometimes has really funny moments, and this is one of them. The magistrates, which by the way, that was an honorary title that was given to two people who governed the, the city of Philippi, but they were under Roman authority. They decided to just let Paul and Silas go, but instead of simply walking away, Paul demands restitution because he's a Roman citizen. And when they hear that, when they hear that Paul is a Roman, they freak out and they go apologize to him and Silas. And that's just funny. To me, it's funny. But you know what? It's not just funny. The passage raises some interesting questions. Why were the magistrates just ready to let them go? By this time, if you think about it, the mob from the previous, previous day had subsided. Order had resumed. And perhaps the magistrates thought that Paul and Silas had received their due penalty. There was no need to pursue the matter further. But when the jailer brings Paul the good news, and think about it, this would have been good news, right? Would you have questioned it? Yes, I was beat, I was in prison, but they're not going to let me go. Wouldn't you have even seen this as an answer to prayer? But what does Paul do? No, I'm not going anywhere. Why? Verse 37, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. They've done this in public. 
without a trial to Roman citizens. It was illegal to beat and imprison a Roman citizen without a trial. What the magistrates allowed could have gotten them into a lot of trouble with Rome. By failing to investigate Paul's and Silas's citizenship before the beating and imprisonment, the magistrates could have very well lost their jobs. Now, you might be tempted to think, well, why didn't Paul and Silas reveal their citizenship before now? Spare themselves something. I think there's a simple answer to that. There's no reasoning with a mob. We saw this in all the chaos that happened in 2020. When a mob forms, you can't bargain with them. A mob is a people that is out of control. They've completely lost their senses. It could have been that Paul and Silas were trying to tell the people they were Roman citizens, but no one was listening. Maybe they couldn't even hear them above the cries and the shouts and the anger. And see, the magistrates, they just reacted. They had responsibility to find out the details, what's going on, but they failed to do so. They just beat them, imprisoned them. That was it. Regardless of all that, it finally comes out. And when the magistrates hear of their citizenship, they react in fear. Now, another question that pops up, why does Paul do this? It's a little late, right? Why does he do this? It seems like an answer to prayer. They're going to be let go. Just go. Don't question it, Paul. What's wrong with you? Does he want revenge? Does he want to just humiliate them? Is he thinking, you know, they harmed us, so we're going to make them squirm? I don't think so. That's not true to Paul's character. Paul writes in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Paul didn't flinch at affliction. He rejoiced over it. What I think is going on here is not a personal vendetta from Paul, but a concern for the reputation of the gospel in the city of Philippi. I think he wants it known that he and Silas were mistreated so the people of the city wouldn't see the gospel through a negative lens. Oh, those Jews who believe that weird thing about Jesus, yeah, they got what they deserved. Furthermore, Paul is probably also thinking of the newly established church there in Lydia's house. It's possible that he doesn't want the church to experience any unnecessary persecution by being associated with men labeled as troublemakers. So he protects it by enacting his rights as a citizen. The result? The magistrates fear trouble from Rome. They come and apologize to Paul and Silas with the request that they leave the city to keep further trouble from happening. And Paul and Silas do comply, but not without a visit to Lydia and the brothers. My friends, when wronged, the faithful will be vindicated. Question, should we seek to be vindicated after being wronged? I think it depends. I think it depends on the situation, on the circumstances, on the people involved, but ultimately, I think it depends on this. Will seeking vindication secure the reputation of the gospel? Is it about me or is it about the gospel? You know, sometimes 
the best thing that we can do is simply accept that we were wronged. Take it to the Lord, of course. Grieve it and what pain we incurred, but accept it. If demanding justice is all about us and our dignity, then it's simply selfish. But if seeking vindication protects others, and most importantly, the message of the gospel, then yes, that could very well be the right thing to do. Perhaps you've heard the name Lori Smith, who took a stand for her Christian beliefs by refusing to create websites for same-sex weddings. She took a stand for what the Bible says about marriage, and she found herself in court. She stood her ground, and she made her case to defend what God says about marriage. And by the way, June 30th of this year, Lori Smith was vindicated by the Supreme Court by a 6-3 to three ruling. Again, I think the question we should ask is this, is it about me or the gospel? Now, what am I trying to say with my last point here? That God will vindicate every wrong I experience? Yes, ultimately. We may see vindication happen on earth. You may very well be vindicated for a wrong committed against you. Remember David? King Saul tried to hunt him down and kill him for the simple reason that God had forsaken Saul and chosen David. Saul was jealous. David had done nothing wrong, yet he spent years running for his life. God vindicated him while on earth. He saw his vindication. And sometimes we see vindication in this life, but other times, I'm here to tell you, we won't see it. Some of you have been wronged. Some of you have been deeply wronged, and no vindication has happened. But I want you to know that ultimately, every wrong against you will be made right. The faithful will be vindicated. Whatever wrongs you have suffered, Christ will one day make them right. Ultimately, God will vindicate all of his children when he returns and sets up his kingdom for all time. Revelation 21.4 reads, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He will right every wrong. And that is something to look forward to. But in the meantime, stay faithful. See, our job is not to worry about our vindication. It's to stay faithful and to even pray for those who wrong us. The point that I want you to walk away with is not that we relish in the vindication that's coming. We don't take a twisted pleasure in the condemnation that God is going to bring on the wicked. But at the same time, we do recognize that he will come as a judge and he will right every wrong that's been done to us. In the meantime, our job is to remain faithful because faithfulness bears fruit. Paul and Silas remained faithful, though it cost them their dignity, their health, and their freedom. Would you remain faithful under these same conditions? How does one do that? How were Paul and Silas able to do this? How were they able to bear the shame and the pain and the imprisonment? The answer? They didn't serve themselves. 
If they served themselves, they would have demanded justice and sought for revenge, but they didn't serve themselves. They served another who also bore shame, pain, and mistreatment. Jesus also had his garments torn off. Jesus also was beaten. Jesus also was wrongfully mistreated, and he wasn't a citizen of Rome. He was and is the Lord of heaven and earth. At his word, 10,000 legions of angels could have swooped down and slaughtered his enemies, but he gave no word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter so that your debt and mine could be paid. Paul and Silas knew that. They knew this Jesus. Their relationship with him was what granted them the ability to remain faithful even during such treatment. And that's how you and I can remain faithful as well. That's how you and I can fulfill the commission that we've been given. Lean into your relationship with Jesus. Build into that every single day. The more you build into your relationship with Christ, the more you depend on him and the power of his spirit, and the more faithful that you are, you will see changes in your life. You will see more opportunities for the gospel. You will be more assured that one day every wrong will be made right. So Semper Fi Church, always faithful. Stay faithful by clinging to Jesus. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for this story in Acts that shows us the fruit of faithfulness. Sometimes it's hard to simply keep going because each step forward is painful. Yet you show time and time again that if we remain faithful, fruit will follow. Lord, grant us the strength to cling to you at all times, but especially when it's hard. Help us to stay faithful so that our fruit will be on display to a world that desperately needs to hear of you and your saving grace. Help us run the race with endurance so that others might come to know you. We pray this. In the awesome name of Jesus, amen.